Well, good morning, and welcome once again to our service of worship today. I pray this finds you well and excited that we will hopefully be able to gather together again soon. We praise God for that announcement earlier this week. Well, for many people, this pandemic, not to mention the situation in the U.S. these past two weeks, has been a sobering wake-up call to the reality and severity of sin, Satan, and evil in this world. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know that our battle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms which is why we must put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. As we read in Ephesians 6.11, the devil's schemes. Satan hates God and hates his people. Scripture calls Satan a murderer who ultimately wants people to die in their sins apart from Christ. He's a liar He's an accuser who is working overtime with his demon forces to attack God's people, attacking our faith, our health, setting traps, devising schemes to cut us down and take us out wherever he can. So more than ever, it is important that we take our stand against the devil's schemes, which means it's really important that we understand what that means. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, we must not be unaware of his schemes. Now, some people underestimate Satan and demons and their power and authority. Others overestimate Satan's power and ability. But we will only have a proper estimation of him and his schemes and what he's able to do by reading and understanding what God's word tells us about him. And our passage today in Revelation 9, as as terrifying as it is, is quite instructive for us in understanding Satan and his demons and their limits, the extent of their power and authority. Satan and his demons are not omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent. They cannot do whatever they want. They can only roam as far as the leash God has given them goes. And our passage today is proof of that. Now, before we get into the passage today, just as a quick recap, the Apostle John is imprisoned on the island of Patmos, where God reveals to him a glorious vision, transporting him into the throne room of God where he sees Jesus the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb slain for our sins, who takes the scroll out of the right hand of God, that scroll which contains the written account of God's complete plan of redemption. And then Jesus opens the seven seals on the scroll, because he alone is worthy to reveal and finally fulfill God's plan, which demands God's wrath against sin, being poured out in a series of escalating and devastating judgments on earth which include the seven trumpet judgments, followed by the seven bowl judgments with seven plagues. 
Together, these make up the terrifying wrath of God that will be poured out during the day of the Lord. Now in chapter 8, the first trumpet judgment was on the land, destroying a third of the trees and all of the green grass on earth by fire. The second trumpet brought judgment on the sea as a mountain-sized asteroid crashes into the sea, killing a third of all sea creatures and destroying a third of the ships. The third trumpet was judgment on the fresh waters, resulting in mass casualties of people dying from the polluted water. And, And the fourth trumpet was judgment on the heavenly bodies as a third of the sun, moon, and stars go dark. And then at the end of chapter 8, John says... I heard an eagle flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. This is God's final merciful warning to people that that even though time is running out, they, they can still repent. They can still turn away from their sins in faith to his son, Jesus, and be saved before the next judgment comes, the judgment of the fifth trumpet, which we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 9, and we will be reading verses 1 to 12. Revelation chapter 9, reading verses 1 to 12. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke came down upon the earth... And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions And in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. When the fifth angel sounded his trumpet... John says, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. Now, we've already seen a number of falling stars so far in Revelation, haven't we? In fact, by this point, falling stars are kind of a common thing. In Revelation 6.13, we read, And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. In chapter 8, verse 10, 
When the third angel sounded his trumpet, a great star named Wormwood fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and springs of water on earth, making them bitter. Well, this is another fallen star, but very, very different from the others. Notice the word fallen there in verse 1. John says, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. In Greek, that verb is in the perfect tense, meaning a completed action in the past with ongoing results. You see, this star that had fallen in the past isn't an asteroid or a ball of fire like other stars. This is a person. Because we read, the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And in verse 2, John refers to the star as he, when he opened the abyss. So who is this star? Well, Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol. To the recesses of the pit. There, Isaiah is describing the fall of Satan, calling him the morning star. In Luke 10 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan is this fallen light, this fallen star that John describes here. The fact that he has fallen is a reminder that Satan is not everywhere. He's not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time, which we see in Job chapter one, verse seven, when the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. I mentioned earlier, sometimes we, we overestimate Satan. Like when we say that the devil is personally tempting us, more than likely it's his influence working through his host of demons. Now, I don't know where Satan is right now. He, he might not even be on earth at the moment. The point is, he is limited. Which is also emphasized in the fact that the star was given the key. He was given the key. Now, the word key here points to authority because a key gives the ability to open or close a door. So to be clear, Satan has great authority, which is why Jesus calls him the prince or, or ruler of this world in John 12, verse 31. But Satan is not the ultimate authority in the world. In fact, he has no independent authority at all, only what is given to him by God. In Luke 4, 6, when, when Satan is trying to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he takes him up to a high place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. You see, all Satan's authority has been given to him by God. After the fall, for his good, glorious, wise, and perfect purposes, God chose to give Satan 
a lot of power in this world. But a lot is not ultimate. Yes, Satan is potent. But only God is omnipotent. To God and God alone belong the ultimate power and authority in the universe. We need to be clear about something. God and Satan aren't wrestling for power. God is God. Satan is not. And and that infuriates him. All Satan's power and authority is, is given to him by permission from God. He can't do anything God doesn't allow him to. Well, then the end of verse one, this star is given the key to the shaft of the abyss. That, that word translated abyss is the Greek term abusos, and it literally means bottomless. It's used seven times in Revelation to refer to the prison where certain demons are incarcerated. Scripture tells us that, that it's a place of the most severe torment reserved for basically the worst of the worst demons. God punishes them by throwing them into this bottomless pit to keep them from from wreaking havoc on earth. Which is why in Luke 8.31, when Jesus heals the demon-possessed man, the demons beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. Same word. So, as the fifth trumpet is sounded, Satan is given the key to unlock the abyss. And then in verse 2, we read this. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. So Satan opens the jail gate of the abyss and outpours billows of smoke darkening the sun and sky. And out of that smoke come these locusts to earth. Locusts with power like scorpions. This reminds us of the plague of locusts in Egypt in Exodus 10, only this is much, much worse. Locusts, of course, are large, usually tropical grasshoppers with incredible flying power. Though they're usually on their own, when they do gather in swarms, they can do catastrophic damage, specifically to crops and vegetation. They will eat anything green in their sight, devouring every last leaf, every last tree, leaving a barren wasteland behind them, which has happened many, many times throughout history. And even as recently as this past February, when hundreds of billions of locusts descended on East Africa and South Asia, devouring crops and threatening the food supply of tens of millions in the worst infestation for a quarter century. It's bad, but that's nothing compared to the scene John describes here. Because these are not ordinary locusts, but locust-like demons with power like scorpions, meant to inflict intolerable pain and agony on people with their stings. So what we have here, it's like a prison break for the worst of the worst demons who've been locked up for thousands of years and are now let loose on earth to torment people, to bring unprecedented pain and agony to people. And yet, as excruciating as this is, God restricts their power. Even in this final terrifying time of judgment on earth, he he limits the damage these demons are able to inflict. 
He also limits who they're able to affect and for how long. Look at verses 4 and 5. These demons were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Unlike the locusts in Egypt, these demons are forbidden from having from harming any vegetation on earth. Apparently, all the grass that was destroyed by the first trumpet judgment of Revelation 8, burned by the fire, has grown back by this point. But these locust demons aren't allowed to harm a single blade of grass or any plant or tree. They were only permitted to harm people. But not all people. Again, notice how they're limited here. They're only allowed to attack those without the seal of God on their foreheads. This is reminiscent of the scene in Job where where Satan wants to harm Job, but God limits his attack. This is what we read in in Job 1.12. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything Job has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Well, in a similar way, God protects his people here. These demons are told they are not allowed to harm God's elect. God will not allow these demons to terrorize his people, believers, those who belong to him, marked with the seal of God on their foreheads, which... I believe is ultimately the seal of the Holy Spirit. But there's there's still more limitations to what these demons are allowed to do. As excruciating as the pain that these demons will inflict on their victims is, they were not given the power to kill anybody as much as they probably would have loved to. No, they can only torment them with their scorpion-like stings and, and only for a limited time, for five months. Now, we don't know what the effects of their sting will be. Is it physical torment or spiritual or or both? We're not sure. It's certainly demonic oppression, but it could even involve demonic possession. We don't know. Here's what we do know. What we read in Revelation 9-6. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. This is why commentators have called this scene hell on earth. Because in hell, the suffering will never end. It's inescapable. Now here, it does end. Even though those who are stung will wish they could die and and many will try to take their own lives just to escape this pain, they won't be able to. But as agonizing as this will be, It actually points to God's mercy. Think about this. If they were allowed to die, these people would be going from hell on earth to hell in hell, where the torment and suffering will never, ever end. God, in his patience, in in his long-suffering spares their lives in order to give them another chance. Why? Because God in his love does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As we read in 2 Peter 3.9, through this five months of torment, some of these people might turn in faith to Jesus Christ and be saved. Well, 
in the rest of this passage, John describes these demons with terrifying detail, using many comparisons to describe what they're like. In fact, in these verses, John uses the words like or as nine times. Here's what we read in verse 7. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. Okay, so horses. Horses are a picture of of force, power. They're strong, ready to march into battle. Crowns that they're wearing, as as John describes them, uh, represent power and a level of authority. These, after all, are the most vicious and dangerous of all demons. And John describes them as having faces like humans, pointing to intelligence. These aren't just insects, but, but are clever creatures, evil and devious in their schemes and attacks. He says they have hair like women, maybe suggesting some kind of attractive or or seductive quality about them, masking their malicious and dangerous sting. They also had teeth like lions, he says. This speaks to their harmfulness and and dangerous power. The description of their breastplates like iron suggests a a level of, of invincibility or invulnerability, that they can't be fought off by people. The description of their thundering wings points to their frightening power and ability to fly quickly from victim to victim. And of course, the tails and stings like scorpions again point to the agonizing and inescapable torment that they will bring on the people. But again, only for a limited time of five months. It's restricted by God's command. And then we read in verse 11... They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. Both of those names mean the same thing. Destroyer. That's who Satan is. He's their leader. He's destroyer. And then we read in verse 12, the first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. Okay, what do we make of this? Well, this passage reminds us that Satan and his demons are on a leash. A leash that God in his his sovereignty has tied them to. Again, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient and he's not omnipotent. Only God is. Now, Some of us, when we hear that, we can't help but ask, why? Why then doesn't God just take Satan out of the equation, throw him and all his demons into the lake of fire for good already? Well, the short answer is he will. That's going to happen. Revelation 20 verse 10 tells us this. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. My friends, Satan knows his time is running out. He knows he must ultimately bow to God and and that infuriates him. In fact, 
Everything he tries to do to thwart God's plan actually ends up fulfilling God's plan. God uses Satan to defeat his own purposes. Satan's purposes. As we sang earlier, God alone can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. Which means that in every battle with the devil, we can have total confidence of our final victory in Jesus Christ, our risen, returning, and conquering King of kings and Lord of lords, before whom Satan and all his demons must bow, along with every creature in heaven and earth. Satan can only do what God allows him to. But even if God allows Satan and his forces to harm us, we know that our God is in control and works all things, including the most evil things, together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Which means that we can stand firm against the devil's schemes with the full armor of God he has given us in place. And we can boldly proclaim with the Apostle Paul, I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, not even satanic powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, whose Holy Spirit lives in us. And my friends... He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So today, take heart and take your stand, knowing that this battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. Heavenly armor will answer the Lamb The battle belongs to the Lord No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand The battle belongs to the Lord We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord When the power of darkness comes in like a flood, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up a standard, the power of His blood, the battle belongs to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. Sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. My brothers and sisters in Christ, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now receive the Lord's blessing. May the God of peace, 
who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you.